Now this is, I am telling you, this is for a lot of people. I'll begin with myself. But this is a message that's resounding. It is a rhema from God. And that is on mercy and forgiveness. We know the story, but let it engraft. We know that mercy triumphs against judgment. Listen to that. The mercy There's a higher law than judgment in a person's life. Now look, you go speeding, you're going to do a ticket. You do something wrong, expect a penalty. With God, you man, mercy is a higher law than judgment. So our sins, which may overcome us, if you cry out for mercy, that's a much more powerful aspect of God. And he's saying, that is what's going to triumph over judgment. Sow to yourself in righteousness, the Bible says, but then it also says, how do you reap? You reap in mercy. So many times you see Christians not reaping what they thought they were going to reap. They thought, I have this plan, and I know this is God in my life, and this is going to work this way. And then the reaping doesn't come. Lots of sowing, and the law of sowing and reaping will never fail. So how in heaven's name does it fail in people's lives? Because they don't have the manner of reaping. You sow in righteousness, but you reap in mercy. And those people that are being hard-hearted and won't provide mercy for others or they carry grudges or right away they want to judge someone's errant behavior. Just because he did something wrong, now we want to judge it. In fact, they did do something wrong. But there wouldn't be any basis of repentance if people didn't behave improperly. So why would God injunct us to repent if he didn't realize maybe we'd have reason to repent? But fellow Christians were supposed to cover us and not judge us. So, so many are not reaping what they should because you reap in one manner and one manner only. And that's in mercy. We have too many Jonas among Christians that they hear God forgive that nation, but they're my enemy and they did me wrong. God says, I don't care. Not only are you going to go forgive, you're going to go preach and you're going to render mercy and you're going to show love because love never fails. And Jonah goes, I'm not doing that. That's my mortal enemy. And he goes in the opposite direction. Too many spirits of Jonah. Too many. Look at Moses. Now, if this lesson isn't telling, I don't know what is. This man is a servant like none other, the meekest man on earth. I mean, this man was willing time and time again to give up his life. But he has a moment, don't we all? My God, he has a moment where he absolutely blows it. I mean, ruins it. And he does probably the worst action that you can think of in the Bible as a type. And that is that he took the rock, our Jesus, and instead of obeying and speaking to the rock, he decided that he was going to take his rod of authority and beat and strike the rock. The dilemma there was, is that that type had already taken place. We had struck the rock prior as a type of Jesus Christ being crucified and being struck by the wrath of God. He decides, let me do it again. Out of anger, frustration, and rightly so, these people were a rabble, but still, don't do that, and he did. And this man could not enter into the promised land. What a lesson! because he decided he would judge 
and in his fury express an anger towards someone. Amazing lesson. Now, he could not enter into the promised land. There's so many people that have a promised land. So many people that God has a destiny of prosperity, joy, affirmation from God, favor from the Almighty. But they don't quite attain like David's men. They, they, they can't get to that level of three. They just can't get up there because they can't control their emotions and their feelings of anger and hurt. So therefore they judge and then strike out in some manner, whether verbal or otherwise, because they could not render the mercy that they so freely beg God for and want. And Moses could not enter. Listen to the phrase. He could not enter into the promised land. And so many people have crossed the Jordan and there is the promised land for their beckoning. God wants it for them, but because they won't forgive, because they harbor grudge. They say that insane phrase, I forgive, but I don't forget. And they're proud of that stance. And they don't realize the self-destruction of bitterness and hate and anger. It's astonishing. Then you have David. David, there's no one in the Bible with more passion and love for God than David. Forget about it. He's so glorious that God sits on the throne. That's the throne of David. That's the name. But listen, the, the paradox of this story, the, the incongruity, listen. The throne is the, called the throne of mercy. And yet it's also called the throne of David. And yet David could not build the house of God because he was a man of fury and blood and anger and menacing. And violence so David a lover of God like no one could not attain to his heart's desire because he too had too much blood on his hands Christian mark 11 the chapter on prayer that is so definitively clear on how to attain your desires in Christ read it mark 11 when you get home repeatedly says that you can have what you say if only you'll have faith. It's really quite instructive and it's so clear and it's so wonderfully, I mean, it's, it's so refreshing and comforting to realize how, okay, if I attain to this faith, then God really will give me the needs and desires of my heart, the healings, the passions, the wants, like a good father, tell me what you want. But then he concludes his absolute dialogue on prevailing faith in prayer that cannot fail with a warning. And what a warning. It seems, what does this have to do with prayer? With successful prayer? Read it. It says, listen, but when you stand praying, the aforementioned prayer of success, he goes, wait a minute, screech to a halt. You better forgive. While you're praying, he says, if you're praying, you better forgive. If you really need that business breakthrough or that relationship fixed, that desire longing so passionately in your bosom, and if you really want that, that you know, with that impossible wall that you somehow don't even know how to break through, and you need that miracle, you know what I'm talking about, where you can't even figure out how to pray. If that's what you want, 
He immediately says, well, wait one minute. You better forgive. It's, it's, it's astonishing, the abruptness of the intrusion of that phrase. You better forgive. And then he doubles down. And by the way, if you won't forgive, neither will my father forgive you. Like, whoa! Ah, why such a moment? Why so strong? Because he knows that's where most people fail, right then and there. There is where they come to give birth and they don't have the strength. They're right there to get what they want and they just can't break through that. They just can't let go that someone did them wrong. Somehow or another, they just are not mature enough or benevolent, whatever. I can't let go of that anger of what they did to me last month, six years ago. Man, you don't, and they tell the story over and over and over again. And it screeches to a halt. It's probably the greatest malady in Christianity, where Christians, good, devout, hardworking, loving God, evangelizing, soul winning, testifying, but then they disqualify themselves to such a degree that it's a spiritual whiplash. It's a thrashing because it didn't work. My prayer was not answered. I didn't have that success. And, and then, worse yet, now I conform to ineptitude and failure. Now I accept I must have been wrong. God won't answer my prayer. I'm not good enough. I can't do it. Now the negativity, this, this hurricane of doubt and cloudiness, comes beckoning on their lives, making the matter even worse. But it all started with the problem that we live lives, ladies and gentlemen, forgive me, of hypocrisy to such a degree, I'm astonished we're not taken on by God immediately. Because we absolutely want his forgiveness. We, oh man, thank God that the mercies are new every morning. Thank God that every single day, 70 times 7, God will forgive us. Yes, absolutely. So now I'm going to refer you to a story that is so well known, don't yawn. Let it be like hot spice once again in your life. Let it be something that awakens us to the true problem in worldwide Christianity, that we somehow or another will not forgive to the degree that we want forgiveness. If we want 100% forgiveness and we render 99% forgiveness, we're in hypocrisy. Because why would you settle for that? You want God to take every sin away. You don't want him to remember one darn thing you did wrong. But we won't give the same? Wow. Let me tell you, that's the stop sign in the spirit right then and there. That's the one that stops everything. Don't be ignorant of the way God works. Christians are blind to God's manner. His manner is forgiveness. His manner is to forget, to forgive and render mercy. His manner is to be benevolent and not absolutely highlight your sin. He wants you to walk backwards. When are there going to be people like the sons that walk backwards and cover a matter rather than talk about the matter? Right now, in the name of Jesus.
So now we come to the story of stories. Again, you've heard it a thousand times. You've read it two thousand times. Peter says, how often do I have to forgive? And Jesus tells him 70 times seven. After he thought he was being a big shot saying seven times. And then recognizing the shock that Peter incurred, Jesus goes on to tell the story that you've heard. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a certain king who would take account of his servants. You know the prayer, thy kingdom come? Well, here's the answer. The kingdom of heaven is likened to this story that I'm about to tell you. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. The Bible says the kingdom is within you. We want kingdom living. We want to be the king and rule and reign and have dominion. The kingdom. And he says, well, if you want to understand it, here's the story I'm about to tell you about thy kingdom coming. So he has this king. And he finds someone that he was going to reckon with. Oh, brother, you don't want to hear that word in the Bible. And he brought him someone who owed him 10,000 talents. And then he commanded that he be sold because he didn't have the money to pay. The servant begins to bow down, falls down on the ground, and begins to worship. Picture the scene. He throws himself on the ground knowing the impending danger. See it in your mind's eye. He knows what's coming. He might be beheaded, imprisoned for life. He doesn't have two cents. He realizes the position he's in quickly. I'm in a mess. He resorts to one tactic, mercy. He throws himself on. Picture this man who's arrogant, rich, or was because he borrowed so much money. Picture his position. Now he's a beggar on the ground howling. Please, I don't have the money. I'll pay you. You're not going to pay me. Please have mercy. And how he touches the heart of the king. We're talking kingdom now. And he says, listen, you want my wife to be sold, my children? He's falling and worshiping, saying, have patience. I'll pay you all. And then the Lord of the servant was moved with compassion, loosed him, and forgave him his debt. Focus on the word loosed him. That conjures up so many thoughts. Had he had them tied up? Was he bound? Was he bound by the debt? Think of his position on the floor, bound, worshiping, crying out, the fear that his wife and children would be raped or plundered and he's begging for mercy and the king is what makes him the king it is the glory of a king to pass over a matter how many people should be kings and queens but they just won't pass over they don't realize you can be big enough to let it go you can be big enough to not point it out. You can be aware of a flaw or a, you know, some transaction that the individual committed that's not good. You can be fully aware of it and go, nah, I'm gonna pass over that. The glory of a king to have the power and the authority to remit sin. Oh my God. But Christians just won't. It's too good to be angry. It tastes too good to tell the gossip and criticize 
It's a wonderful feeling to make yourself be large by diminishing another. How human, how tragically human. So the king is moved. Think of that. The king can be moved with compassion. The servant falls, worships, and a king is moved. A king is moved. You see, a king is capable of being moved. Small people can't be moved. They're dogmatic and they're, you know, that's it. I know, no one's going to convince me otherwise. I know what he did, he deserved. They can't be moved. They're small, they're tiny. They don't have the breath of the Holy Spirit that is malleable and bends and can turn in the wind and say, I forgive you. You're blessed. Even though you were my enemy, I will gain you with my love because love never fails. And I'm going to love you into the kingdom. I'm going to forgive you into the kingdom. I'm going to provide compassion and mercy into the kingdom. All the ways of God, the power of God, Listen, so the Lord then is moved. But then we know the story. He's forgiven, he's loosed, and he goes about his business. But then the same servant went out and found one of the servants that owed him five bucks. And he goes to him and he says, where's my money? Pay me. And the Bible says that he took him by the throat, saying, give me my denarius, my 50 cent piece. Give me that. The fellow servant did what he had done. Found out I'm in a predicament. I've done wrong and I'm in a mess. He then falls down at his feet and besought him saying, have patience with me. The exact same thing and I'll pay it all. And he would not, but he went and cast him into prison that he should pay his debt. Could it be any clearer? And we've heard it a thousand times, as I said. Could it be any clearer? But this morning, God is providing a thrust in the spirit. I tell you, there are people that are going to have the best year of their life this year if they will just stay within the confines of Jesus Christ. Don't get a better idea. Stop judging. Stop. You're going to have the best year of your life. That's why God has interrupted this to say, don't blow it. Don't blow it. Don't ruin it. Don't you be the device that stops you. Loose them. The way you render mercy, the Bible says, is the way you get mercy. The way you render benevolence is how God will treat with us. Stop doing what God did not do. Stop it. Stop judging someone that God has not judged. The mercy you've received be that river that will give it right out and God will say I can trust you with power I can trust you with anointing you'll use it to heal and not to heal destroy Christians on the cusp of destiny right there on the edge of the promised land are you willing to stop hatred and anger can you be in control of yourself? Can you finally come to the moment of decision and forgive forever and say, God, I have acted like your son Jesus. 
as the father sent him he has sent me you can trust me i will forgive those that have made errors i will cover the sins i will be the benevolent one and bestow remission of sins my god if only god could find men and women that are willing to be jesus in practical life and when someone says something or hurts you be the healing balm of Gilead. I'll give you one of the saddest scriptures in the Bible. I sought for a man that would stand in the hedge, and I found none. I sought for a woman or man that would be there as an intercessor like Abraham. And no matter how vile those cities were, Abraham saved them, Father. Save them. And he came close. You can hit the home run. You can say, Father, I forgive them in the name of Jesus. You can be the Christ. My God, what that will do for you is unthinkable. You can't imagine what God will bring in your life. The irony. Let me tell you what prayer does if you'll pray right. Even when the wrong man is praying, with the wrong motive, but he prayed. If you read into his prayer, you'll realize what he said. Abraham, praying for Sodom and Gomorrah, came nine short. If he would have just said, if there's one in those cities, don't destroy the cities, and God wouldn't have. And he negotiated with God, but not far enough. But we have that as an example. So this grand man with this grand intercessory prayer fails. But then, fast forward, there's Lot. Lot is a scoundrel. Lot is living a life of sin in a sinful city. Lot is a coward. Lot is greedy. <laughs> kind of opposite Abraham. But Lot prays. Lot says the prayer. Oh, come on, God. Those are just little tiny cities. Let me go there, save them, don't destroy them, because I got to go there. Where else am I? And Lot gets his prayer answered to save two little tiny cities. <laughs> if you see this story in the spirit, it should boggle your mind. It really should. A sinful man praying out of the wrong motive can save the city. Can you imagine a Christian praying with the right motive. New York City and other cities full of sin. So what? Our grace and mercy is far greater than the sin of New York City. We just need men and women that'll cover it in intercessory prayer instead of getting angry and frustrated. Instead of getting angry at either Trump or Nancy Pelosi, whatever side you're on and you shouldn't be on any side other than Jesus Christ, why don't you pray for them? Why don't you pray for these so-called enemies to arise to a higher level of cooperation? Good Lord, it would only be a miracle. But that's what God does. And instead of hatred in this country, why don't we arise in love in this country? And even if they won't, God will do it for you because you asked for it.